Hello, this is Pastor Jimmy Harper. Thanks for listening to this Lee University broadcast. We're excited that you are joining us today for one of our many campus events. We hope that you are encouraged as you listen. I'll be reading from the New Testament from the Gospel of Luke. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who has made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not content, consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for now I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So this is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. This concludes the reading of the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. John Ortberg tells a story <clears throat> about a young entrepreneur, about 25 years old, newly married. He was in the business of making businesses. He took venture capital and he would grow companies, grow them from the ground up. And he loved doing what he did because he would be able to see in his imagination things come to life before his very eyes. He would throw himself into creating companies. He would spend 12, 14, 16 hours a day working on creating these companies. At first, it started kind of slow. But then things started ramping up. He got an office in San Francisco. He got an office in Orlando, Florida. He started flying to Madrid and to Asia for meetings. He would spend weeks, sometimes months, away from home, just pouring himself into growing these companies. It was always plugged in, so to speak. And his wife would say, honey, you know, let's go somewhere. Let's do something. He'd say, you know what? Someday things will settle down and we'll take life real nice and easy. One time, a CEO of one of his companies came to him and said, you know what, we are really on the brink of something. We are on something big. You know, we got some problems with our accounting department. We have some hiccups in our shipping. If you could create some web-based software, we could really smooth these things over. We could take this company, we could take this company big. He went home that night to his wife and he said, you know, we are so close to something. I have looked at all the contingencies about this company. I've looked at everything. All we need to do is make some software, make it all good, and we can take this web base. We can, we can take this company public, international. We're going to be big on this. He gave his wife a kiss goodnight. She went to bed about 11 o'clock and... She woke up about 3 in the morning, and she noticed he hadn't yet come to bed. And she said to herself, this is ridiculous. She throws her robe on, goes downstairs, and there he is with his head on his arm right in front of the computer, half donut, Coca-Cola. And she says, this is crazy. He's like a little kid falling asleep in front of the television. She goes over, she cleans up the donut and the Coca-Cola. She comes back, and she reaches out, and she touches him to wake him up but he was totally cold. When the paramedics got there, they said there was nothing they could have done. He was gone for 
quite a while, in fact. The community totally rallied around her and her whole family, and food, lots of food, cards, flowers. In fact, Forbes magazine wrote a really nice article about him, and saying he was the who-who's, you know, to look at, the entrepreneur, the up-and-coming one. At the funeral, people said really nice things. One man got up and said, if it wasn't for him, our company would have never happened. He was a complete asset. Another guy got up and said, you know, he was totally a straight arrow. He never would cheat anybody, totally honest. After the funeral, they went to the cemetery and they erected uh, a tombstone. And on the tombstone, they said, said, innovator, entrepreneur, loving husband. Jesus tells a similar parable. When the night got really quiet and everyone had left the grave, the wind wasn't blowing, the angel of the Lord comes down and writes one more thing on that tombstone. He writes, fool. Fool. That's kind of harsh. Fool. What we have just done is we have jumped into a very lengthy chapter. Luke chapter 12 is very long. And what we have done is we've gone straight to the middle of that chapter, kind of like walking into a movie, and you've not seen the beginning and you don't know the ending. All you know is what you're seeing right in front of you. What happens is the parable that we have just heard from Luke chapter 12 actually fits into place, pops in like puzzle pieces with its surrounding context. The context really does matter in this case. So I encourage you to read Luke chapter 12, all of it, the parable in its context. At the beginning of the parable, a young man comes to Jesus and he's asking Jesus to do something for him. The same way we ask Jesus to do stuff for us. He says, Jesus, be my arbitrator between me and my brother regarding money. And Jesus looks at this young man, and he sees a broken relationship. This young man can't just go to his brother himself. He's got to find an arbitrator to do it for him. He looks at this young man, and he sees a total broken relationship. You can almost hear James ringing in your ear. What causes you to quarrel and fight? Isn't it the greed that wrestles within you? You want Stuff that you cannot have, so you look for an arbitrator to get it. He looks at this young man, and he responds to that young man's question with a parable. With a parable. Woven through that parable is a quiet little question that says, what is life worth living for? What is the point of life? What is the point of living? A couple years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, go home, Colorado Springs is my hometown, and to spend some time with my family. My niece, Becca, she's in, she is 12 years old in sixth grade, middle school, and she invited me to be her friend, her partner, to come to go to financial planning day at her school. And uh, Wells Fargo was having financial planning day, and uh, there was a speaker and a PowerPoint presentation, and there was food, and there was games. And then it was time to break up into our groups, and I was supposed to sit with Becca and help her make some financial goals for her future. <clears throat> and the, the speaker of the day was going from table to table with his calculator. He finally came to our table, and he looks at Becca with his calculator. He's now, Becca, if you want to retire real well, and live life just great. 
you need to start saving now. All you have to do is put $50 away every month. If you put $50 away every month, by the time you retire, you will have $400,000. And Becca's eyes got real big. And then he says to her, now, Becca, if your Aunt Heidi here wants to retire and she hasn't done what you're going to do, she's going to need to save up. $16,358, $16,358 a day so that she can retire and live life easy. Well, Becca's eyes looked at me, and she said, Aunt Heidi, what am I going to do? Where am I going to get $50? And I wanted to say to Becca, you think you have problems, kid. $16,000 a day? I mean, I, I have to put my daughter through college in just two years from now. I just paid off my student loans. How am I going to send her to college? She's now driving, so that means my car insurance has doubled. We have a mortgage payment. We have utilities payment. My son needs a haircut. We need food. Who's going to think about retirement? Now, that's what I wanted to say to Rebecca. But instead, I looked at her and I said, Becca, don't worry about it. It was as if Jesus knew that that financial, visceral, emotional response was coming because on the very heels of the parable that we read this morning, on the very heels, this is what Jesus says. Don't worry about it. Consider the ravens. Do they harvest and put all their stuff in boxes and barns? Consider the lilies of the field and all their splendor. Do they worry? How much more will your father take care of you? Don't worry about it. Really, Lord? Don't worry about it? I have been told my whole life, worry about it. You've got to get a good job so you can get some money, and you've got to put all these things, to put them away to raise money, right? I mean, I look at this man with his barn, and I say, now that's the responsible guy. He is saving his money, put it in a CD, gain some interest, right? He's doing the right thing. What happens here is Jesus is going to take this concept of what it looks like to be financially responsible, and he's going to flip it on its head. Jesus is going to do something very countercultural here, very countercultural. You all are the next generation of church leaders. Whether you're pastors, whether you're lay people, missionaries, whether you pray for each other, you are all the next generation of church leaders. And one of the biggest challenges that you are going to face is baby boomers. You know why? They're coming into retirement right now. And in about 20 to 30 years, your nursing homes your retirement facilities, your assisted living, your hospice care, your hospitals, they are going to be stretched to the max. My grandmother was in assisted living. We had to sell her home because in order for her to be in assisted living, it was $4,000 a month. That was her rent. And 30 years from now, when the supply and the demand go way up, it is going to be so expensive to take care of our elders especially since the rift between the poor and the rich becomes wider and wider and wider. As the next church leaders, you are going to have to think of some countercultural solutions. Some countercultural solutions to this concept. 
Within this parable, Jesus is asking the question, what is life worth living for? What is the point of life? How many of you have a Monopoly set at home? How many have two Monopoly sets at home? Yeah. This game takes forever to play. Takes forever, but as a child, I had all the time in the world. I love playing Monopoly. I loved it, especially because I got all this pretty little colorful money, and I would take my pink and purple and green money, and I would put it in its piles, and I would count my money, and I would look at my money, and then I would slide my money under the board so my brother couldn't see my money. And while I am admiring my money, he is zipping around the board buying up property, and he would laugh at me, and then I would land on boardwalk. And he had some properties on boardwalk. You know what happens when you land on boardwalk? dish out the money. I would say to my brother, you are being so irresponsible with your money. And then he's taken my money. And he would laugh his evil heckle. <laughs> and he'd say, Heidi, someday you'll get the game. Well, someday I did. The game is to acquire. The game is to acquire. And I remember I got the game following in my brother's footsteps. I began to go around the board just like he did, buying up property. And there was that moment, that turning point, where I realized that I was crushing my brother. I was driving him into the ground intellectually. I was destroying him emotionally. I was tearing him apart, bringing him to financial ruin. And then... My mother had to walk into the room. And as she's drying her hands on a towel, she says, dinner's ready. Time to put the game in the box. I said, what? I'm this close to destroying him. She says, Heidi, it's time to put it away back in the box. And I thought to myself, well, then what is the point? What's the point? All within this parable, this man who's collecting all his stuff, putting it in his box. Jesus is asking the question, what is the point of living? What is the point of life? Is it about gaining all that we have? Is it about putting things in boxes? I know that Jerry Seinfeld, many of us grew up with him. I know I grew up with him. And he would point and say the the full meaning of life comes down to one word, and that's movement. In my own life, just in the last 15 years, I've moved nine times. And every time I'm beginning to move, I look for boxes, right? I look for boxes. I walk into stores. Do you got any boxes? I'm looking for boxes. I'm driving down the road. I'm looking for boxes. I look behind the stores. I'm looking in dumpsters. I'm looking for their boxes. Everywhere. I'm calling people on the phone. Do you got any boxes? I'm looking for boxes. You need any size of boxes, little boxes, big boxes. I need boxes. You're at a funeral. Everyone's crying. They're mourning. You're looking at the casket. That's a nice box. It has handles on it. Comes with its moving team. Where can I get a box like that? <laughs> Essentially, that's the last big move of our life. What is the point? What is the point if it all goes back in the box? We often want to say, as Christians, we often want to say, well, what Jesus really means is don't let your possessions own you, but you own your possessions. But Jesus does not say that. He does not say that. What is the point of life? 
At the very end of Luke chapter 12, Jesus turns his attention back to the young man, and he says this, go and be reconciled with your brother. This echoes Matthew chapter 5, in which Jesus says, before you come to the table, Above and beyond the priority of worship, before you come to the table, go and be reconciled with your brother. Friends, what is the point of life? It's each other. It's investing in the kingdom of God through each other. And it starts with forgiveness. Jesus says, I am the resurrection, and all those who believe unto me, even though they die, will have life, real life, abundant life, a life worth living. For all of you who seek the way, the truth, and the life, who have put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are welcome to come to the table that reconciles us each to one another. Please join me in the communion hymn, the Sursacorder printed in your bulletin. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let us pray. Gracious God, indeed it is right to give you our thanks and praise. Therefore we praise you, joining our voices with all the faithful of every time and every place who forever sing to the glory of your name. This morning, Lord, with thanksgiving, we take this bread and we take this cup and we proclaim the death and the resurrection of our Lord. Receive our sacrifice of praise, O God. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, and upon this meal, that this meal may be a communion in the body and the blood of Jesus who reconciles us one to another, that we would be one as you are one. Make us one with Christ and with all who share this feast. Unite us in faith, encourage us with hope, inspire us to love, that we may serve as your faithful disciples until we feast at your table in glory. We praise you, eternal God, through Christ your word made flesh in the holy and life-giving spirit, now and forevermore. Amen. This morning we will be taking communion through intinction. So you will be invited row by row, so watch the rows in front of you to come forward down the center nave. There will be two, two stations here, and there will be a station at the transept. For those of you in the balcony, you are welcome to come in your own time. We also have gluten-free wafers for anyone who needs them. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he blessed it. And then he said, this is my body, broken, so that you would be made whole. Whenever you eat of this, do so in remembrance of me.
Likewise, he took the cup, and as he poured, he said, This is the cup of the new covenant, my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins for the whole world. Whenever you drink of this, do so in remembrance of me. This is the cup of salvation. Thanks be to God. Would my servers please come forward? These are the gifts of God for the people of God. The table is now ready. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made so that we could be made whole, that your love overflowed so generously, that you forgave us without even thinking about it, just out of mercy. We thank you, Father, for adopting us as your children And we thank you for the food that you provide us. Uh, We pray, Lord, that with this meal, that we truly can be your hands and your feet, your voice and your face, your light in this world. We love you, Lord, and we pray that you would create in us to be your kingdom come on earth. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Please stand for the charge and benediction. Friends, sometimes reconciling with people is not possible, depending on situations. But forgiveness is possible. And to forgive someone is basically to forgive a debt. Therefore, I charge you as people called by God to go out of, this, out of this place into the world, being equipped by the Holy Spirit to forgive freely the way God has forgiven you. Show the world what life is worth living for. May God go with you. May God be with you today. May God be with you tomorrow. May God be with us all for everlasting life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.